Do you like free stuff? I do. BlueprintMCAT.com. Go sign up for a free account. Get access to Blueprint MCAT's Diagnostic, Blueprint MCAT's Full Length One, Blueprint MCAT's amazing brand new space repetition platform with over 1,600 flashcards already made for you, as well as their amazing study planner tool. Schedule out the content so you know if you are on track to take the MCAT when you need to. Again, that's blueprintmcat.com for all of those free goodies. The MCAT Podcast, session number 127. A collaboration between the medical school headquarters and Blueprint MCAT. The MCAT Podcast is free MCAT prep to help you understand the MCAT, teach you how to break down questions, and give you the skills and confidence to get the score you want on your MCAT test day. Learn more about Blueprint MCAT at blueprintprep.com slash MCAT. Welcome back to the MCAT Podcast, where I am joined by Clara from Next Step Test Prep, and we are breaking down some more of Next Step Test Prep Full Length 10. We are in the Bio Biochem section, Passage 7. So I hope you've been following along. If you haven't been, if you're new to the MCAT podcast, we've been going through Next Step Test Prep Full Length Practice Test number 10, week by week, going over passage by passage, question by question, really running through the whole test. Now, this is a great way for you to take the test and then follow along and listen to the podcast and hear what you're missing and understand how you're missing these questions. And hopefully it'll help you improve your score. So let's go ahead and continue our breakdown of full length 10 with passage number seven. All right, Clara, back with some more MCAT podcast, next step test prep, full length 10. Oh, we're closing in on on the end of bio biochem, <laughs> which is fun. And then we're going to be left with the, the painful section of psychosis in a couple of weeks. So uh, let's uh, round out. How, how many passages? Let's, let's recap real quick uh, for somebody going through the test. How many passages and, and discrete sections are there for each section? Totally. Uh, so every science section has 10 passages. So here we're on passage 7 out of 10. And every science section also has four sets of discretes. So we've been through some of those already. We have at least one of them left. All right. So we have some passages. We have some more discretes left. So uh, the, the psych social is, is coming uh, soon. So stay tuned <laughs> for that. If you're tired of bio-biochem, we're going to get through these last passages and discrete questions and hopefully help a few of you out. Why don't you go ahead and start uh, reading passage seven here, questions 35 through 39. All right. Passage seven. TLRs are receptors on leukocytes that recognize viral and bacterial components, causing signaling to generate, among other things, pro-inflammatory cytokines. TLR4 is a TLR that recognizes lipopolysaccharide, or LPS, a glycolipid present on gram-negative bacterial membranes. Signaling through TLR4 occurs when a ligand brings two TLR4 molecules together in a process called ligand-induced dimerization. A researcher is investigating use of synthetic TLR4 ligands as an adjuvant to enhance the immune response against a vaccine by stimulating cells to release cytokines that enhance antibody responses by B cells. The researcher obtains purified TLR4, immobilizes it to a surface, and incubates the receptor with the synthetic TLR4 ligands compounds A through D to measure binding affinity. The following results are obtained. 
Uh, and here we have a table. It says table one, dissociation constants of compounds A through D and binding TLR4. And then all this table gives us is it gives us um, compounds A through D and it gives us the KD for each. So we know if a question asks us about the KD or dissociation constants, we'll come back to this table. Uh, if not, we won't have to worry about it. Uh, so then experiment one. The researcher then compares immune response against a synthetic agonist compared with an equal mass of live bacteria and purified lipopolysaccharide by measuring mouse survival after a five-day inoculation. The live bacteria include pathogenic strains of E. coli and S. enterica, both gram-negative, and S. aureus, gram-positive. Experiment two, the researcher now wishes to explore the efficacy of a vaccine formulation with either a purified antigen present both on S. enterica and S. aureus, or purified antigen plus TLR4-based adjuvant, which is either compound B, C, or D. The purified antigen is normally a membrane-bound receptor on the bacteria. He vaccinates the mice. Two weeks post-vaccination, he inoculates the mice separately with either S. enterica or S. aureus and measures survival after five days. Um, the same amount of bacteria as in experiment one is used. That's it. <laughs> That's it? Really? <laughs> That's it. Oh, okay. <laughs> That's all it is. Yeah. All right. This is going to be a hard one because I'm lost uh, <laughs> already. So the, these are the passages. Uh, what, what would you recommend for a student who's reading these passages and like gets to the end and they're like, oh, what the heck did I just read? Because they're not going to have time to reread it. Right. Like, what do you recommend? Well, so you actually, it's a good idea not to reread it. So it's a good thing almost that you won't have time because a uh, passage like this, you don't have to understand every word you read. Uh, a lot of times I see really smart students get stuck here and think, oh my God, I don't understand anything. Like I, I must have not studied enough or something like that. And instead, if we just stop right here, we think, okay, we got some key words and phrases out of this, right? We remember something about like an adjuvant. We remember it's about the immune system. We know that there are these specific types of bacteria that are mentioned throughout the passage. Uh, and on the test, you'll have your highlighter too. So you can highlight a few key terms uh, or memorable phrases from each paragraph. And then you're going to just move on. We can go back to the passage if we need to. Okay. You want to try this first question, number 35? Sure. Question 35. What is not a possible explanation of the survival of uh, survival for mice challenged with S. aureus in experiment two? So what is not an explanation for their survival? Uh, a. Staph aureus is a gram-positive bacteria. B. The antigen is only expressed on Staph enterica. C, Staph aureus subverts an immune response against it. Or D, TLR4 signaling has minimal effect. Uh, so why, so what is not an explanation of the survival of mice? And so the, oh man. So they, let's, let's read, I'm gonna read the experiments one more time just so I know. Uh, so the antigen is there. Uh, so the, the mice are vaccinated and the va vaccine, the, the vaccine, the vaccine <laughs> formulation, either purified antigen, both on staph enterica or staph aureus or purified antigen plus the TLR4 based adjuvant, either BC or D. Um, hmm, so A doesn't necessarily make sense because 
they're looking at both gram-negative and gram-positive stuff, and I don't see anywhere why gram-positive would um, would mean anything. Uh, the antigen is expressed only expressed on uh, Staph enterica. Uh, that wouldn't necessarily make sense either, I don't think, um, because if the antigen's only on Staph enterica, then uh, the Staph aureus shouldn't have been uh, prevented from doing anything. Hmm. Okay. Uh, C. Staph aureus subverts an immune response against it. Uh, but again, it's asking for an explanation of the survival of mice. Uh, I don't know. I, I would go with D because the rest of them just don't make sense to me. But it's very confusing. Yeah, this is a this is a little bit of a weird question, I think, as well. Um, uh, so this one actually, the answer is is going to be B. Um, and I think it's important to just recognize, even as we're going through these answer choices, and even as we're getting con- confused by them potentially, um, that this is a not question. So three of these must be possible explanations for whatever the question is asking, and then one of them must not be. Uh, so that can make it a little bit easier if we think like, oh my god, I don't understand any of these, or I don't understand most of them. Uh, and so they're asking about the survival of mice challenged with S. aureus. And so we aren't really given much information about um, how, how what extent the survival occurs, right? So some of the mice might have survived, some of the mice might have died in this experiment based on uh, being infected with this bacterium. Uh, so if we just go through these answer choices, we can say, okay, S. aureus is gram positive. Uh, they told us that was true in the passage, so at least it's true. Uh, and then is it a possible explanation for survival? Well, maybe. I mean, we can look back and see what they talked a, quite a bit about um, LPS being, in the beginning, LPS being this glycolipid present on gram negative bacterial membranes. So there is some sort of distinction between gram negative bacteria, which have LPS, um, and gram-positive ones, which don't. Uh, so, if I mean, we haven't really conclusively eliminated that one, so we can go move on. Uh, and B says the antigen is only expressed on S. enterica. I like to jump to this one right away because it says only, and so it's an extreme statement. So if we can just prove it false, then that gives us some information. And if we actually look back at the passage, um, oh, there, okay, experiment two. So the researcher now wishes to explore the efficacy of the vaccine with either purified antigen present both on S. enterica and S. aureus. Mm. So that contradicts B. So B is just not true. Um, So I I like to say with these questions asking for a possible explanation of some phenomenon, first of all, the answer choice has to be accurate. And second of all, the answer choice has to do whatever the question is asking with regard to the explanation. But B, just straight up, is not accurate. So it certainly is not a possible explanation. And it's the answer to this not question. Okay. Yeah. It's a little weird, but it's, it's straight up false. I mean, that, that does happen on the MCAT where you will get an answer choice that just contradicts information you know or information in the passage. And we have to consider the passage to be... Um, to be our resource here. It's not, it's not giving us lies to trick us. Okay. Okay, and it's cool. one of those accept type questions, a not question that I think threw me off as well. It does, yes. Um, by the time you get to like C or D, you can forget that it's a not question. <laughs> yes. <laughs> that does happen. Or uh, as soon as you get to A, you forget it's a not question. 
Happens too. Yeah. Let's move on to the next one. Number 36. What is the purpose of an adjuvant? A, it acts as a transcription factor. B, it binds antibodies. C, it increases protection granted by vaccine of a host against pathogens. Or D, it causes dimerization of receptors. Acts as a transcription factor? I don't know if that uh, does anything. Uh, It binds antibodies. That sounds like a negative thing. Uh, It increases protection granted by vaccines by a host against pathogens. So it helps the antibodies, maybe? My vaccine, okay, and it causes dimerization of receptors. Um, so, kind of thinking back to my vaccine days, adjuvants help our immune response. So, I'm gonna go with C. Perfect. Okay. Yeah, C is correct. Yeah. So, there's a couple different ways you can go about this one. Um, if you don't have any knowledge of vaccines and you don't know what an adjuvant does, uh, we could always just go back to where they first mention it in the passage. And that's in paragraph one. And they basically tell us directly, um, they say an adjuvant to enhance the immune response against the vaccine. Um, I did want to point out real quick. So it's nice if you just get to that answer choice right away. But if you read the passage, you can sort of get confused because um, some of you guys might remember we did talk about dimerization earlier. Um, So that very first paragraph, again, it says, in this case, this TLR4 signaling um, occurs when a ligand brings two TLR4 molecules together in a process called ligand-induced dimerization. So in this case, we actually do see dimerization, but that's not the purpose of an adjuvant in general. Um, so C is correct, um, increasing protection okay. um, by, by the immune system. Okay. Perfect. Question 38. The researcher... Uh, So we skipped 37 for the purposes of the podcast. Question 38. The researcher isolates antibodies against S. enterica from the vaccinated mice who survived at the end of experiment two. Binding in an isolated antibody is mediated largely by a sequence in the CDR3 complementary determining region of the antibody. He sequences the protein and determines that binding is mediated by the sequence lysine, lysine, arginine, glycine, aspartate, glycine, lysine, serine, and lysine. What region of TLR4 is this antibody most likely to bind? Wow. Okay, so (laughs) we're given the sequence of... of, of the DNA here, or RNA, one of those. Uh, amino acid sequence. Amino acid sequence, yeah. Um, so we're given this amino acid sequence, and somehow we're supposed to know what region of TLR4 is the antibody most likely to bind because of that. And so I'm glancing <laughs> back up at the top and... Um, looking at the TLR4 where it talks about it, and I don't see anything quickly that would help me figure this out. Um, And so let's go through the answer choices. A, cytoplasmic domain. B, transmembrane domain. C, ligand uh, binding site of TLR4. And D, extracellular domain. Um... So we have this long sequence of amino acids, and I'm wondering if 
the TLR4 really has anything to do with it. We're just supposed to look at those amino acids and go, oh, that <laughs> one's hydrophobic and it's not going to cross anything. And so it's extracellular. Um, but I have no idea where to start answering this one. So I'll leave it to you. Sure. Uh, and you're totally right, by the way. This has <laughs> nothing to do with TLR4 um, or very little to do with it and everything to do with that sequence of amino acids they gave us. So, I mean, I would say really every single time I've seen a question given amino acid in the question stem, that amino acid has ended up being important to answering the question. So that can help us figure out that that must be important. But if we look at the actual sequence, we see, okay, lysine, lysine, arginine, blah, 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 um, aspartate, we see lysine again a couple times. These are very polar amino acids for the most part. Uh, and so they're actually lysine and arginine are charged. So they're super polar. So as soon as we see, oh, these amino acids are polar, we can think, okay, uh, polar is going to be a, if we're talking about the sequence mediating binding, then it's going to bind other polar things because of like dissolves like. And so this antibody is most likely to bind to a region that is rich in polar residues. So if we look through the answer choices, we see A, cytoplasmic domain. Well, the cytoplasmic end of a protein usually is pretty polar, but it's also like in the inside of the cell. So that's not where an antibody is going to bind. So A is out. Uh, B, transmembrane domain. That's famously nonpolar because it's sort of buried inside the lipid bilayer. So B is backwards. Um, we're looking for something polar. Uh, C says ligand binding site of TLR4, and that's kind of weird. I mean, there's no reason why we can say it's definitely not C from this question. Uh, it turns out that actually earlier in the passage, they were talking about how LPS, which is like a lipopolysaccharide, um, interacts with that binding site, and it's a lipid, so it's pretty nonpolar, actually, so that it says, oh, maybe C is actually a nonpolar region. Uh, but then we, our eyes are just drawn to D, and D says extracellular domain, and that's going to be always in any protein, um, or at least any protein in the body. The extracellular domain will be relatively rich in polar residues. So D is perfect. Um, D is exactly fitting with the amino acids they gave us. Okay. So I had no <laughs> clue where I was going, but I had a feeling it really had nothing to do with TLR4. So I got that part right. Absolutely. Do I get partial credit? <laughs> I'll give you partial credit. Right. The MCAT would not. <laughs> That's all I care about. <laughs> uh, all right. Go ahead and go right. question 39. 39. Signaling through TLR4 occurs when a ligand brings two TLR4 molecules together in a process called ligand-induced dimerization. TLR4 as a homodimer then recruits proximal adapter molecules, leading to a phosphorylation cascade that ultimately results in NFKB import into the nucleus. NFKB ultimately results in the change of cellular proteins, leading to a pro-inflammatory phenotype. What type of molecule is NFKB most likely to be? A, translation factor, B, transcription factor, C, protease, or D, kinase? Oh, so NFKB ultimately results in the change of cellular proteins leading to a pro-inflammatory phenotype. Um, so <clears throat> my guess is that it's either A or B translation or transcription factor. Um 
because it's it's changing the proteins. Um, but I forget the um, the definitions of translation versus transcription. So if I forgot those on test day, uh, I'd, I'd hopefully be left with a 50-50 chance because I think those are the either one of the two right answers. Um, so I would, I would probably go with B, transcription factor, not remembering the definitions of either of those. It's <laughs> a good guess. Um, it's correct, too. Um, so B, transcription factor is the right answer here. Uh, and, and yeah, so you were do- totally down to 50-50. It's, it has to be A or B. Um, protease and kinase, those are both um, enzymes that will, so a protease will like break down a protein and a kinase will like phosphorylate a protein. But neither of those things would be expected to happen in the nucleus. And we wouldn't say that it results in the change of cellular proteins on this large scale. Mm-hmm. So A versus B, um, really you only need to know one fact about translation versus transcription to get this one, and that is transcription happens in the nucleus, uh, whereas translation happens in the cytosol on ribosomes or on ribosomes bound to the ER. So transcription occurs in the nucleus. This question stem told us that this NFKB is imported into the nucleus, so it has to be B, transcription factor. So transcription and translation basically are the same but just different locations they have other differences so transcription is an earlier stage in the process because basically what we're always trying to do is we're trying to take our dna which is storage material sort of permanently located into the nucleus Mm -hmm. and we're trying to get protein out of it and whatever proteins we make from that dna will impact the phenotype of the cell uh so yeah and that's going to happen in two stages the first is um, transcription where dna is transcribed into rna and then that RNA is processed and is shipped out of the nucleus where it would quickly degrade. But if before it degrades, it's picked up by a ribosome, then we're going to turn that RNA into protein. So in this question, we're affecting transcription on the transcription level. And so transcription would be that DNA, we're reading DNA and making this ribonucleic acid or RNA from that template. Okay. So the... The the DNA is like the the speaker of the house, and it's being transcribed into the RNA, and then later on the RNA gets translated into whatever languages the protein that needs to be in. <laughs> totally. Oh, I, I love thinking of it that way. Yeah, it's like because transcription is is pretty similar, right? You're transcribing something, you're just taking DNA and you're yeah. writing it down, really similar. Uh, but translating, oh, we're turning it into this whole new language, which is the language of amino acids and proteins. Yeah. I like it. Awesome. I, I came up with something <laughs> helpful, I think. I think so. <laughs> All right. Anything uh, else that we need to know about this passage? Nope. I think we're good. I know um, those last two questions were pretty long, but they we answered them pretty quickly, too, so, so that don't let it deceive you. Long questions can be relatively easy to answer. Yeah, and that's just a, a mindset thing to mm-hmm. to not immediately get down on yourself going, oh, shoot, a, a long question, a long passage, a long question, especially ESL students, uh, slower readers like I typically am. Uh, it, we have a, a tendency to go, shoot, this is going to be hard because it's long, but don't, don't let yourself uh, get into that mindset. 
Absolutely. All right, there you have it again. Passage seven from Next Step Test Prep, full length 10. If you are looking for MCAT courses, look no further than Next Step Test Prep's MCAT course. I've looked at a lot of MCAT courses. I've reviewed Next Step Test Prep's MCAT course. You can find that review at mcatcoursereview.com. Again, mcatcoursereview.com will let you see the review that I did of Next Step's MCAT course. And it includes a coupon there as well for the course. Uh, or you can use the coupon code MCATPOD, M-C-A-T-P-O-D, to save $50 off the course. But really the course is all about allowing you to have the best of both worlds. You get all of the videos that you need. You get all of the practice tests you need. You get the books that you need to self-study. But you also get access to live online office hours where a tutor, one of the Next Step's top tutors, will be there to help answer your questions. And this is really what separates Next Step's course from everyone else's. So go check them out. Again, mcatcoursereview.com. Hope you have a great week. We'll see you next time here on the MCAT Podcast. 